Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Before I start today's show, I've got to say a massive thank you to Michael McLean, King Cullen, and Dante13, who left me a fantastic review on Apple Podcasts. So if you can, pop yourself over there, write us a little review, leave me some stars, and it helped me spread the word about the podcast. And just like today, I'll give you a shout-out at the start of the show. Go on. You know you want to. I'm Jack Hughes from Wang Chung. Hey everybody, this is Ivan from Men Without Hats. Hello everybody, this is Francis Gunnery from It Bites. Hi everyone, this is Andy from Modern Romance. Hi everyone, this is Charlene. Hi, this is Dennis Seaton from Music EU. Hi, I'm Nick Haywood. Hi, this is Kevin from Fiction Factory. And you're listening to the 80s Rewind Show Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. It's time to bring you yet another amazing episode. And now, welcome your host, Rob, the face for Radio Burgess. Enjoy the show. Hello, hello, it's the Israel One Show with me, Rob, the face for Radio Burgess. And welcome along to today's fantastic episode of the greatest, nay, the best, nay, the most wonderful podcast on the planet, the 8 One Show podcast. Um, I've got a fantastic guest for you lined up today. But before we get to that, like I was saying right at the start, thank you to everyone that's left me a review on Apple Podcasts and Google, wherever you get those. Uh, if you can do that, it does help me massively. So thank you so much. And it helps spread the show far and wide. Um, and I've had a massive response from all over the world. I'm so chuffed. Thank you so much for that. As a way of saying thank you, I've got some 80s goodies for you. So if you go over to the 80s Rewind Show website, which is... Check out the website, www.the80spod.com. Or just check the link in the description to find it. If you go to the website and you go to exclusive to site, on there you've got some 80s goodies you can't get anywhere else. Now, I've just updated it and Dr. and the Medics have sent us their new video forever and ever. You can't get that anywhere at the minute. They're sitting exclusive to us before it gets released. So get yourself on there, check out the video. It's fantastic. And while you're there, check out the episode. Anyway, talking of episodes, we've got a fantastic one for you today. We've got the wonderful Sam Brown. She was absolutely lovely to talk to. In the episode, we talk about her writing the smash hit Stop and the album of the same name, touring with Pink Floyd for a little while and her loving ukuleles. Oh, it was an engaging chat. She, I could have talked to Sam for absolutely hours. She was fantastic. Anyway, check it out for yourself. Let's get to it. So if we can go um, sort of back to when you was a kid, was there a lot of music in the house? I mean, I know your dad is Joe Brown, obviously, but did he play a lot of music around the house? Um, dad didn't so much. He was you because he was on tour all the time. So... Uh, he quite often was just watching telly, <laughs> like dads do when they come home from work. I mean, he did obviously play music at home, but um, it was more my mum, really. She always had music on, you know, but very different to the sort of music my dad liked. So my mum liked Stevie Wonder and Earth, Wind and & Fire and uh, Rickley Jones and Elkie Brooks and all sorts of stuff. So, um, yeah, so I kind of got a lot of my music. I think through my mum. Wow, that sounds like my mum's collection, funny enough. <laughs> Absolutely. We used to dance around the living room and uh, um, Aretha, obviously. Um, and then and then I, I loved Kate Bush. I don't think that came through my mum, but um, I was singing quite early on. So I also got, my mum sang with a lot of 
different people. Uh, Madeline Bell was a good friend of my mum. So they were around the house a lot. And we kind of, so I got very much into that whole black American thing, which probably not a lot of people at my age in the punk era would have done. But it was just, you know, it was different circumstances. So yeah, it was my my mum. Yeah. When you sort of um, got into music, what was you first listening to? What was your main influences? Like you just mentioned punk there. Was punk a big influence on you? Not at all, no. I thought it was an awful racket. <laughs> Um, I like, <laughs> I only sort of came to, you know, the clash and well, I, I like the stranglers and I like jam. I liked x-ray specs. I wouldn't say that any of them influenced my music. I think I'd already gone down, of course, sort of a singer songwriter route. So I love Kate Bush, Ricky Lee Jones, Joni Mitchell, uh, Joan Armour Trading, Randy Newman, um, uh, but more, much more sort of singer-songwriter people rather than bands, if you like. Yeah, sort of the Laurel Canyon kind of people. Wonderful stuff. Yeah. Yeah, what, brilliant. And then when was it you first sort of discovered your voice? When did you sort of know you could sing? Like, Because everyone obviously thinks they can sing at some point, but you can do it in tune, obviously, at the time. So when did you sort of, <laughs> when was that, actually, I can do this moment? Do you remember? Um, well, my first session was when I was 12 uh, for the Small Faces. So, and that would have been... 1976-1976-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1
Yeah, it was a fantastic experience. Um, I never really felt like I was thrown in, though, because I'd grown up with it around me. So um, I didn't, you know, it was never a shock and it was never overwhelming. And I think also because I'd grown up with a lot of famous people around me, that didn't kind of hold any sway for me. I wasn't particularly impressed by celebrity, if you like. So, um, not that I was unimpressed. I mean, I was, you know, quite, they were all very nice people, but um, it wasn't like, oh, wow, I'm going into show business. Isn't this amazing? They're, look, there's someone famous over there. You know, it wasn't like that. It was just about the music and singing. And I, I just loved my job. I loved singing. Fantastic. And you did a bit of work for Adamant as well. What, what did you do for Adamant? Uh, that was a session. Um, I think I did one or two sessions with my friend Sonia Jones. I have, I, Cannot remember what I sang. I, I just can't. It was like a few songs, and I've got no idea what they were. <laughs> Sorry, Adam. <laughs> There's probably some aficionado somewhere that can tell me about that. <laughs> I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. Yeah. So all this time, you you're doing the session work. Um, were you writing for the first album at this period? Were you sort of working on songs, or was it sort of? The session work came first and when you got round to it, you'd, you'd look at songs? Oh, no, it's very much the writing came first. I mean, when I uh, started writing when I was 12 or 13 and and when I moved into London, I moved in on my own when I was 17 and uh, I had a flat and I I hired a piano. So I had, to, had this little upright piano delivered to my little flat in uh, us on the A1 in, on Falloden Way. And uh, I just literally just wrote all day, every day. I just sat at the piano writing songs and then did the odd session and I had a job as a waitress and a job as a cleaner. Wow. It's, that sounds like a movie waiting to happen, doesn't it? <laughs> the Sam Brown story. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Not quite sure how interesting it is. No, would it'd be, be great. It'd be great. <laughs> so yeah, you was um, doing the session and then you started to write for the album Stop. Was it uh, was it easy writing for you? Do you find it an easy process or was it difficult to do? Um, it's, well, writing's always come has been a very easy thing for me to do. Whether or not I was writing songs that anyone wanted to hear, I don't know. And certainly when I signed to A&M, you know, they very much focused on stop. And I, and if I'm honest, they did, they knew I was a good artist, I think, but they didn't really seem too bothered about, you know, it's like they had their hit and that was kind of what was important. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, I kind of realized quite quickly that because uh, I've been in this sort of music bubble my whole life. My parents did music. I met lots of musicians. Um, so it's quite normal for me to be in that world. Um, and really being in that world, it was like, well, there was nothing really special about it to us. To, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't out of the ordinary. Um, and so when I signed to a record deal and it was like, well, you've got to wear this and we need you to do this and you shouldn't really swear and you know, that's a bit, you can't really say that and all this sort of stuff. I was sort of like, well, hang on a minute. What's this got to do with music? This is nothing to do with music. Yeah. You know, why Why is this? So I didn't really understand. I understood that some people were well known, but I didn't really understand that there was a path to that, which really is like a different job. You know, so if you, if you take someone like, I mean, Kylie to me is, she is the princess of pop. She's brilliant at it. She's a brilliant pop star. No, she's a good musician as well and an actress, but she is just really good at being a pop star. I was never particularly good 
<laughs> in that world, I because I didn't care enough, you know, I didn't care enough to put makeup on to go to the shop in the morning and I didn't care enough not to shout bollocks when I was doing Top of the Pops, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was sort of, I didn't really, I wasn't very good <laughs> Oh, I love that. So, yeah, they were trying to make you a pin-up first and an artist second, weren't they? Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was very shy as well. And I think I think whilst I say that now at the time, I probably didn't say anything. I probably just went along with it. So to be fair to them, they were just doing their job. Yeah. It was just... It's just I was ignorant to that world. That's all. Yeah, you, I mean, you got the artists and you got the marketing people. So <laughs> yeah, one of them's going to yeah. bend eventually, isn't it? So. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So can we talk about um, writing the track Stop? Where did the inspiration come from? Was it a person? Was it just something that just fell into your mind one day? Um, yeah, I was, well, I my publishing company, I just signed to my publishing company and they sent me out to Los Angeles, which was really exciting. Uh, I think I was 18 or 19 and they sent me out there to write with lots of different people. So up to that point, I'd written mostly on my own and with some other people. And my publisher, Stuart Hornell, who's a great bloke who I'm still working with, um, he sent me out to Los Angeles and put me together with all these different writers. And I got on well with most of them. We wrote some great songs. But the person I really um, uh, got on well with was Greg Sutton, um, who I wrote Stop With. Um, I had the idea, I was driving along in the car on the Pacific Coast Highway. (laughs) That that was amazing. and I just had the idea for stop and I sort of, you know, had kind of most of the verse, just kind of worked it up in my head, got to the, so they put me in this little kind of condo, as they're called in America. Nice. Um, and I got back there and I just started writing it and then Greg came over the next day and we finished it off together and Bruce, uh, who's in Lone Justice with Greg. Um, and yeah, so that was it really. Just, it just kind of fell out of the sky, Robbie. It just fell out of the sky and hit me on the head. And did it start as a soul sort of track or was it, did it have a different tempo? Was it a different, or did it start? No, it exactly as you hear it. It was exactly as you hear That's it. That's fantastic. And then obviously the album came after that. Was it an easy album to write? Um, I've written most of it already. I think there's uh, quite a lot of stuff that I'd written on my own. Um, so Your Love Is All I'd written, Peace Of My Luck I'd written, I'd have to look at the track listing because I can't actually remember. But I, I had written a lot of it already. And then it was just a question of which songs to put on the album. So my head of A&R was a guy called Chris Briggs, who was great. And we just picked the songs together, really. What I love about the album is it's really quirky. You've got like Stop, which is a ballad on there. Then you've got Walking Back to Me, which is like a stomper. Then you've got This Feeling, which is a love song, but really sparse. And then you've got my favourite, which is Tea. Absolutely love the song Tea. <laughs> I mean, it's a very Mary Poppins type <laughs> song. Isn't it is. He was just a joke. Um, in fact, the guy that I wrote that with, Danny, is the person I've just written my new album with. Uh, he's a great writer, bloke from North London. And uh, yeah, we get on very well. And also you've got a piece of love, which is jazzy. Wrap Me Up is the 80s sounding song on the album. But I just love how quirky it is. It's kind of, to say all over the place is not the right phrase. I just think it's a really kind of cool, abstract idea that you've got this absolute belter of a ballad on there and you've got like tea and these really quirky songs on it. It's, I think it's a, you know, I'm not saying it can speak to you now, but it's an underrated gem, that album. I think it should be re-released a lot and played a lot because it's so different. Uh, <laughs> well, I think, thank you very much. Uh, that's very nice of you. Um, at the time, it was a problem because the record company were like, it's too varied, you know, it's too, 
I think the word that gets used is eclectic, isn't it? Yeah. Which means it's all over the bloody shop as far <laughs> as I can tell. But I just had, I didn't sort of, I never felt the need to stick to one genre, mm. if you know what I mean. So it was whatever suited the song it was what we did. And and so we came up with this. It is quite a mix. I mean, I do understand their their problem because they could target it at one particular audience. But it's a fantastic mix because it's so different. You, you know, every track's different from the lot. And I love that about albums where they, you know, you expect, without sounding rude, you expect an album of stop. You know what I mean? Like a ballad after a ballad after, and you don't get that. You just go, oh, yeah. <laughs> what's going oh, on here? Hey, oh, what's going on now? <laughs> and, yeah. and I love that. I think that's the album's strength. I really do. I think it's... Um, people oh. listen to the podcast, go on Spotify, download it. You'll love it. It's brilliant. <laughs> Basically. Well, people don't buy our albums anymore, do they? That's the thing. I just, I just, I mean, the song took a life of its own after that. And the video, was that a, a good experience to do or did you find that uncomfortable? Was you happy doing a video? Yeah, I was. I mean, I think I, there was a bit of uh, a problem about the way I looked and what I wanted to wear because I sort of tended to, I was a bit, sort of goth actually I liked I liked old vintage clothes and I used to wear black all the time because (laughs) I thought I was fat which when I look back on myself now I think you were bonkers because you weren't fat but you know what women are like women blooming nightmare so there was a bit I found that quite hard because they wanted me to look the part as they saw it and I didn't really uh, I wasn't really very good at that um so you know the way I look in stop is not something that you would ever see me in. Right. Uh, but um, making the video, and in fact, in those days, making videos, just the most amazing experience because. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You, know, you had a director, you had a crew, you had... I mean, it was amazing and and they spent loads of money on them and to have the piano up in the air and it was just, it was fantastic and all those lovely models and and it was a lovely thing to do, you know, it was very atmospheric. Right. And did you tour the album afterwards? Did you take it on tour? Yeah. You did? Yeah, we toured, we toured a lot Um, and the band, because my brother was producing me and in those days... He's a guitarist. Right. Um, and I think the second album, April Moon, which is 90s. So we can't talk about that because it's not Oh, 80s. you can talk about it. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it sort of got quite heavy and the band became quite heavy and the gigs did become quite sort of rocky. Um, so, yeah, we did tour it. We did. Um, and absolutely love touring. It's fantastic. I mean, the song has really taken off and I've, I've heard lots of different cover versions online. I've been uh, Googling yeah. and uh, the Joe Bonamassa one. 
is fantastic. It is, yeah. I love it. I love it because it's nothing like the original, mm. I think. I mean, I when I sang Stop, I didn't deliberately do it to be difficult, but when people try and sing it the same way as I do, I think, well, why don't you just sing it how you would sing it, you know? But I suppose it's quite a strong sound, so it's difficult to get away from. But I love the Joe Bonamassa version. I think it's brilliant, really brilliant. I mean, for people listening, pop on YouTube and find that. It's a really good version of the song. <laughs> I mean, that's what's wonderful about interviews nowadays. We can reference places to find stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? It is good. Normally you go, I'll go down the record shop, find it in the corner <laughs> behind, you know, but now we can reference. But he, do, he does a marvellous version and he changes the intonation of the singing slightly for, and it works really, really well, doesn't it? It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think he's just treated it like a blues song. Yeah. You know, um, and in fact, when, when it came out, a lot of people thought it was an old song. Oh, um, yeah. But it's not. I we wrote it. So. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> I was there. Very pleased. I wrote it. It's been very good to me. <laughs> so after that, you um you had the April Moon album. Was it a difficult album to do? Following stop, was you on a writing role at the time? Was it easy to do? Um, I think from a writing point of view, I've always loved writing. So writing is never difficult for me. I think the difficulty came when we had to sort of fit everything in around promotion, um, because with stop, I I did about three years just doing promo and not much music. And I found that frustrating. Um, And uh, with April Moon, we wrote the album and toured it at the same time. And it was, I think April Moon, I think it's a lovely album, but I think it's a little bit too long. I think it's got too many songs (laughs) on it. Um, But having said that, I don't know what you take off now. It's done now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't find it difficult to write from the point of view of actually writing. I found it difficult to write from the point of view of time. And then after that, you went on to 43 Minutes. That's that's a lovely album. Yes, I suppose it's a concept album, isn't it? I wrote that before and after my mum died. Um, And uh, I wrote the whole thing on the piano as a piece of music. And uh, it was was a turning point for me because it made me realise that I didn't want my musical life to be how it was. You know, I wanted it to be about playing and making music rather than promoting um, and paid the price of that, I suppose, in a way, because 43 Minutes initially sold 4,000 records, you know, compared with over 2 million with Stop. Yeah. Um, but I was, wasn't was really driven by that. So it didn't really matter to me too much. I'm very proud of it. It's, it's got, it sounds a bit prog rock though, 43 Minutes, doesn't it? I, I like that though. I just, <laughs> I just think it's, it's a beautiful album. Um, it's wonderful. Like I lost my dad to cancer as well. And I knew that listening to the album and uh, when you Mm -hmm. listen to it from that point of view as well, it takes on a whole new meaning. So it's, yeah, Yeah. it it definitely did. I mean, I I listened to it with a different set of ears. If, if, if you know what I mean, it was kind of. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think, you know, it doesn't feel very specific to me lyrically, but there are definitely lyrics in there that are relevant if you've lost someone, I think. Yeah, definitely. I resonated with the album um, a lot. I was just like, oh, I love this. And I love the sound of it as well. Because it seemed to have uh, a lot of focus to it. And it was, it was. I mean, I love the quirky stuff and this had focus and it was, it was just a wonderful album. So that, oh. yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant. And then from that, was it after that you went on tour with Floyd for a little while? I think Floyd. Uh, oh gosh, yes. That was 94, I think it was. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah, I did. I went on tour and um, I took my daughter. My daughter was six months old. I took her with me. Wow. And we were on the road for a year, whole year. I mean, literally a year. We were back in the in the country for two days in that year. That's crazy. Was it a good tour? Did you enjoy it? Oh, it was amazing. I mean, what an experience. It was incredible. 
really incredible. I mean, I think it's, you know, I, I, I'm just really lucky because I've done so many different types of things. Um, and, you know, I always loved and maintained that I, I would love if I was still singing, you know, really small gigs, which are intimate and you, the audience are there, anything from like 20 people to, you know, 500 to a thousand. But when you're on stage with Pink Floyd and you can just see people for as far as you can see, it is the most incredible feeling because that it's like a collective energy. You know, you can feel it. It's amazing. So around that time, I think we were 16 and 17, my friends, and uh, he got a ticket to go at the Earl's Court one. And uh, he went along. He got absolutely drunk. (laughs) He got got plopped into the chair, slept through the whole gig. (laughs) And uh, he woke up when the aeroplane went over um, and then <laughs> fell back to sleep again and then they, they managed to get him home. And, uh, <laughs> Brilliant. and to this day, every now and again, I just get a, a picture of the Pulse album cover and he'll just put like, oh, for God's sake, underneath, like, what did I do? <laughs> Brilliant. It's like his biggest regret Brilliant. in life, you know. <laughs> Whoops. <Yeah. laughs> Oh, it was really, really great. So yeah, you've released a few albums and then your voice was giving you a bit of trouble. Is this right? It's been playing you up a little bit lately. Uh, well, it doesn't work anymore. I mean, I couldn't, I can't sing live. I okay. teach ukulele and I sort of croak away at the front and I do gigs with them, but I don't sing. I mean, I sing very, very low, you know, but I can't sing, certainly not like I used to. Um, and that started happening in you know, the middle of 2006. Right. And it got progressively worse. And in 2007, I had to cancel one tour and then I had to cancel another tour and I saw all sorts of doctors and I've just, I've never really got to the bottom of it. So it still doesn't work. Um, who knows? Maybe one day, but it's, you know, obviously I've tried lots of different things, but whenever you, whenever I try something new, then, you know, you have to put your whole self into it else there's no point in doing it. And it's quite upsetting, you know, to have to go through I, I doing voice exercises or whatever it is, because I'm then faced with that issue every single day. So now I tend to just, I just kind of, I don't really pay, I try to pay as little attention to my voice as possible. <laughs> but what's wonderful is you've got a new album coming out, number eight, which is really yeah. good. I've been playing that. I absolutely love it. Um, I love the track Injured. I think that's fantastic on there. Thank you. No, no, no worries. What I love about the album is if you, um, for people, it's not been released yet at the time of recording, but it's coming out in January. Is that right? Is it January the... January the 20th, 20, yeah. 20th, that's it, yeah. Um, if you took the album and you put a 80s cover on it and you crinkled the corners a little bit, you would not know the first half was made in the 80s. I know, it's really true. It is really true. It's definitely, it's probably the most 80s album that I've made. <laughs> Being an 80s artist, but, it's more 80s than stop, isn't it? it is. But to your detriment, yeah. it, it sounds amazing. Obviously, because you've got this new situation with your voice at the moment, it suits that album absolutely perfectly. Like the adaption is brilliant. So can we just talk about, you know, writing the new album? Did you want to write a new one? Was it something you you felt you wanted to do to get your system or was it just, I've not done that in a while? Um, no. Uh, well, I think I'd kind of parked writing because the way I used to write was I used to write with my voice. So I'd sit down at the piano or pick up a uke or a bass and just play something and kind of sing it as I wrote it, if you see what I'm saying. Yeah. But I can't really do that anymore. Um, and it started because my friend Danny, who I talked about earlier, Danny Sugar, um, said we kind of got in touch. We hadn't really spoken much for years and it was during lockdown. Mm-hmm. And um, and he said, well, should we try a bit of writing? I said, yeah, okay, you know. So I um, had a couple of ideas and we just got started on it. 
Um, but at that point, I had I'd just been to Wales with a friend, and she she's uh, she's an artist and she's also a writer, and she basically sort of invited like four or five people. And everyone went out and it was just time to be creative, if you like, you know, to do whatever you do. And I'd written a couple of electronica instrumental pieces. So I kind of felt like I could possibly go down that road. Um, And so I started writing with Danny and Danny's an amazing keyboard player and programmer and producer. And the first couple of tracks were okay, but then it started to come together. And when it really started to come together was when I started using auto-tune. Right. Um, I, I started using Melodyne. And uh, when I tuned it up, even though it wasn't terribly out of tune, when I tuned it up, it had a sound about it, if that makes sense. Yeah. It suddenly came together. Um, so, yeah, and then we we wrote every Tuesday and we wrote an album. And that's it. It's called Number 8. No, I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting album. And like I said, I love the 80s side of it. It's got a really great vibe about it. Do you think... Um, was you ever tempted to release it like under a different name just to see what it would do if it wasn't associated with yourself? Yes, I was. I was because I think a lot of people, particularly from the 80s, and in fact, at the moment, there's loads of people, I'm sure you know, with stuff out, you know, doing different things. Um, but this is actually nothing like Sam Brown. Mm. And, I, and I did think of releasing it under a different name. But, you know, I do have a fan base and, and that seemed a bit unfair to them in a way. Um, and, and plus it, it's it sort of it's an incredibly complicated thing to do then, isn't it? Because you don't really know what issues it's going to kick up, good and bad, until you start doing it. And I didn't want to sort of be kicking myself and saying, "Oh, that wasn't actually a great idea, was it?" You know. Uh, but certainly, the the radio pluggers have been talking about. You know, we initially talked about doing it under a different name, anonymously. And in fact, they may well still take it to radio anonymously. What would the lead track be from that? Would it be Dole? Would that be the one? Yeah, yeah, doll, doll is so doll started going out on Instagram and and Facebook and all that. We started doing a few bits and pieces. Um, it's all me doing it, and my daughter is helping me, and a couple of friends helping me. So there's no manager, there's no agent, there's no record company. So if I could just say on your show, Robbie, mm-hmm. I'm really sorry, everybody, if I'm a bit crap at getting back to you, but that's the reason why. <laughs> 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 no, no, that's fair enough. <laughs> that's fair enough. <laughs> no, it's great. I really love the new album. And uh, yeah, when it comes out, go and buy it. It's really good. Or Spotify. I, keep, I should say Spotify. Really, everybody does that. So you've been running ukulele workshops. Tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, well, I started teaching uke in 2010. And a few mates said, will, will you teach us a uke? I said, yeah, sure. So I went to a load of bother and did some charts and stuff. And of course, they they weren't really that interested. <laughs> so then I, I put an ad in the local paper, just did one of the little classified things. And we started off with nine people. Then it went up to 20. Then it went up to 50. Then I had to start another club. Then that went up to 50. Wow. And it just really snowballed. And I think I discovered that, you know, teaching is a little bit like being on stage in a way because you just want everyone to go away happy, really. That's the thing. And as long as they learn something as well at the same time. So um, I just, it just happened. It just happened. And now I teach about 100, 150 people a week. Wow. And I've got nine uke clubs. Um, they've all got different names. <laughs> um, and but that but the umbrella sort of thing for it all is called the Fabulous Ukulele Club. Um so which obviously spells 
fuck. Uh, so apologies, you might have to beat that out, I suppose. Um, and uh, and the, you know, the whole thing was a bit of a joke to me, to be honest with you. But actually, I've met some amazing people, and to see people come out of the shell, and you know, especially retired people, and to realise they can sing, and then to see them getting up on a mic and singing in front of all, an audience and playing, they is just such a lovely thing to give back if you like. I mean, it's lovely being a Uke owner myself. You call them Ukes, can't you? Is that right? If you can show it. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, yeah. It's nice. I um, What I love about it is it's a bare instrument. There's just yourself and the voice and then the Uke and that's it. And you know, they say some of the best songs are written. When you strip a song down, even onto a ukulele level, you can really hear how a song is. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to do um, a Uke cover of Chandelier by Sia. Nice. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with, a, with a little, it's got a little country feel, you know. It's wonderful. In the my my little nephew, he's two at the moment. I had a ukulele in the fireplace just because it looked nice, and he would come along and he and he sort of grabs it and just pulls the strings. He sent it to him next month, and um, so we bought him his own little one now. And even though he doesn't understand music and sound, he understands that if he puts his fingers in certain places, it will make a noise. And I think it's yeah. one that they used to teach uke quite a lot, didn't they, back in the day as a, as a first instrument? I think they should go back to that sort of teach him young because he understands the concept of the uke, even though he doesn't know what it is really, you know. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, you know, it's better than the recorder, I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not as annoying. My dad says <laughs> all that spit everywhere, you know. Um, and I think uke is great. And and actually, it's got everything. That, it's not as hard as a guitar, mm. but it's got, you can do scales on it. You can play chords so people understand that they're making you know, a big sound with it. And it's, I just think it's a great instrument. It really is. It's wonderful. And if you want to tie it back as well, Sam's dad did uh, the George Harrison benefit concert and he did, I'll see you in my dreams, which is a wonderful song. And your dad plays it brilliantly. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. So to tie it back together, if you want to get, see a you can action, watch Sam's dad at the George Harrison tribute concert. It's brilliant. It so what's next for you, Sam? Is it going to be a new album? It may be a small kind of uke tour or anything like that. Um, well, we played Alexandra Palace last Saturday with, with 60 ukulele players. Wow. Um, we were supporting, uh, there's a, a, a fantastic show with four ladies called Woman to Woman. And it's Beverly Craven, Julia Fordham, Judy Zook and Rumor. Mm. And uh, my friend has been putting these shows on. His name's Lee. And he's a great, he's a really lovely bloke. And he came to see one of my uke shows and uh, he said, oh, I'd love to put this on tour, uh, which we've obviously we've never got around to. But he said, well, why don't you come and open up? So we didn't actually go into the concert hall. We were outside in the East Court Alexandra Palace and it was amazing. Nice. And I'd love to tour it. But, you know, how the hell do you pay all those people? I mean, it, it's impossible logistically. I'd love to do it. Um I'll definitely be writing more. I'm not quite sure what I want to do. I've got loads of ideas for stuff. But at the moment, I think I really need to give this album the best that I possibly can. Fantastic. And it's a brilliant album. If people want to get details of where to find you, where's the best place to go? Uh, well, my new website has just gone up online today. Fantastic. Uh, I dare say there'll be teething problems, but it's misssambrown.com. www.misssambrown.com. That's three S's in the middle. Sam it's been lovely talking to you today thank you so much for giving me your time it's been brilliant thank you very much Robbie lovely to talk to you the show is produced edited and presented by Robbie if you enjoyed today's episode make sure to subscribe and leave us a review
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.